0: Hello everyone. It's Dr. Anna Kebeca here. Great to be here today with Jimmy Moore, a expert in the ketogenic diet and newly out with his ketogenic cookbook, a beautiful um, cookbook that has some great, nutritious, low-carb, high-fat paleo meals to help and heal your body. Uh, Today we are here on Couch Talk, and as you know, I'm Dr. Anna Kabeka and I am a board-certified gynecologist and obstetrician, board-certified in anti-aging and regenerative medicine, an expert in functional medicine and sexual health. It's always my goal to help you get to your optimum status, mind, body, and spirit so that you can live the purposes that you have in your life. So, Jimmy, it's excellent to have you here today with us. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to co-author and author this amazing ketogenic book, Plus Living Your Ketogenic Lifestyle?
1: Oh, that's a long story, Anna, but uh, it started back uh About 11 years ago, I decided enough was enough and I needed to lose weight. And that really was my focus at the time that I needed to lose weight. And the problem was I knew very well how to lose weight. Just cut my calories, cut my fat, um, exercise more, and the weight's supposed to magically come off. That's what we've always been told. Unfortunately, uh, that only takes you just so far before you go crazy and start pulling all your hair out because you're, you're so hungry. You've got cravings. Um, it can work for a period of time, but it's not a lasting solution to obesity and then by extension, your health. So I got a book from my mother-in-law uh, for Christmas Yes, mom. I'm fat. Thank you. Uh, And I read the book. Uh, It was called Dr. Atkins New Diet Revolution uh, of December 2003. And I thought this guy is whacked out of his mind. How do you eat less carbs and eat more fat and lose weight and get healthy? That just didn't make sense to me. But I had tried all those low fat diets, Anna, and it just did not work. So, I started on the Atkins diet January 1st, 2004. Became my uh, New Year's resolution that year. Ended up being my new life resolution because I still, to this day, eat that very diet. Now the ketogenic aspect came in um, after I was successful in 2004, lost 180 pounds, came off of three prescription medications. Just amazing turnaround in my health. Um, ketogenic came around around 2012 where I really got serious about trying to burn fat and ketones as the primary fuel source because eating low carb will kind of get you there, but is not necessarily ketogenic. And so I learned that there's a lot more to being ketogenic than just cutting your carbs. So uh, obviously, I'm also about real food. I think the paleo community has really been influential in getting people to eat real food again. So a real food space, low carb, high fat diet is kind of what I'm about today.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's good. And too, in your book, you mentioned, I mean, it's really about the nutrients that we're getting in, right? So nice. it's feeding our nutrients and, uh, you know, nourishing ourselves because we have to nourish ourselves to get the mitochondrial function of our cells optimizing so that we're burning fat, making energy, you know, as you right. talk about our macronutrients fat, protein, um, carbohydrates. Those are our macronutrients on the big picture, but what we need from those macronutrients are the micronutrients that are going to feed our cells and and that we get out of storage mode, which my focus is so much, especially in the menopausal state, that we are meant to be the wise women of the clan and (laughs) exist on scraps. So in in this stage, we're really in a um, conservative mode as opposed to a fat burning mode. And so entering in, in my philosophy as well, a ketogenic alkalinizing diet plan, which is almost a contradiction in terms, right? Because we think ketosis, then we think acid, but we know that's incorrect, acid state. And we think, well, alkalinizing we know is up health. So I always tell clients alkalinizing about bringing nature in and what does nature look like? Green, healthy, colorful, wholesome, and bringing nature inside, and that's alkalinizing, removing things that are acidic, you know, typically keeping that to 10 to 20%, red wines, meats, sugars, etc. So, how do we now, like, incorporate this ketogenic alkalinizing? Well, let's first go... uh, Either way, we can talk more about the ketogenic diet plan itself. But I'm curious, like, how do we really optimize this fat-burning mode, especially in the menopause and andropause, over 40, to stay in the fat burning and stay alkalinized?
1: Yeah, I I think part of the problem is people think uh, eating this way is kinda of high protein. It really has never been about high protein. And, and as you said, uh, you don't wanna eat meat in excess. Um, and certainly a ketogenic diet is not a high meat diet. If anything, it's a moderated meat diet uh, because you're not getting in a lot of protein. So moderating down on the protein with that lower carb and then of course filling out the rest of your calories with the healthy fats, that's what we're talking about here. And if you do that, the al- alkalizing effect will will happen. Um, we've seen it time and time again, people try to totally avoid red meat, for example, uh, as a means for avoiding the alkalizing or, uh, acid forming effects of eating meat, but that's not the answer. That's not going to produce, um, the effect that you're looking for. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it goes hand in hand, exactly what you said, um, moderating down the protein, lowering the carbs and eating a lot of healthy fats. That's going to get you in ketosis and make you happy and healthy.
0: And how do you, um, like, give us an example of this type of ketogenic diet plan.
1: Yeah, so are you talking about the foods that you consume? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. so really we're talking about um, basically limiting your carbohydrates to really things that are non-starchy, green leafy, um, and each person's carb tolerance is going to be different, Anna. Uh, I, I can only have about 30 grams of carbs because I once was over 400 pounds in my life. Uh, I often joke that I've had all the carbs I've been allowed to have my entire life, the we first 30 years right? of my life.
0: <laughs> we reached that quota. We can't have any more.
1: <laughs> yes. And so uh, so that's. Uh, there may be a little bit of truth to that in, in some way. So I can't have very many Daily, um, as someone else who's relatively healthy, like my wife Christine, she can have upwards of maybe 75 grams of carbohydrates, which can include some potatoes every once in a while, like that, and still be in ketosis. So it, it widely varies. You just kind of have to tinker and test. My last book, Keto Clarity, we talked about how you can kind of determine what your carb tolerance level is. And then get your protein under control as well. And if you're very sensitive to carbohydrate, you're also going to be sensitive to protein because protein can turn to glucose when you consume it in excess. And that's another anti-ketogenic thing to eat too much protein. That's why we're talking about moderating down the protein. My protein intake is maybe 80 to 100 grams a day, which it translates, because Americans don't know what grams are, but uh, it translates to about five ounces of like a steak. Or, or included with that is maybe a few eggs as well. And that's about it for the whole day as far as protein goes. And then filling out the rest of it with healthy fats from avocados. That's a good monounsaturated fat. Um, obviously, butter, lard, all those healthy saturated fats, coconut oil uh, that you can get into your diet. It's really an easy diet. And one thing we tried hard in the ketogenic cookbook is to say, look, we realize this is high fat, but it's not like you're adding butter to everything you're eating. You're just eating normal foods that happen to be high in fat and delicious.
0: Excellent. So, in giving example too of some of those normal foods, right? Like, so when we're talking, like you said, butter, butter from grass-fed yes. cow sources, because we know that there's a difference from where oh, we yeah. sources from <laughs> dairy, et cetera. So, I just want to make sure that our clients know that, and also just to you know why I'm so passionate about. Um, ketogenic food plan, as well as because we know in the research in functional medicine, as uh, to that ketogenic eating food plans can promote brain health, you know, prevent against dementia, decrease the inflammatory pathways. So, consistently, we say, okay, well, low carb is also low sugar, it, and so we're, you know, whether we're getting sugar from. Um, sweets or treats or wherever it may be or fruits that we want to look at these um uh, you know we want to stay on the low end of those and really get it from whole, whole foods but that it creates igniting our inflammatory pathways or glucose pathways so with that in mind when we're when we have healthy doses of fat you know you know, sustainable sources and, and doses of protein. And especially when we're getting older, our, our quantities need to be reduced. we recognizing that our body is much more efficient. We've had years of practice and living. So understanding that we have these efficient bodies. So I am a big advocate of, um, it's not that, okay, you can eat as much of everything as you want. We have to govern self-control and limiting what we're burdening our body with digesting, metabolizing, processing. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. And I would say, especially for older women, uh, post-menopausal, I have seen time and time again, email after email, and people saying, oh my gosh, I I can't get the weight to budge. And my doctor wants to put me on a statin medication to lower my cholesterol. And he wants me to cut out eggs and cut out all this cholesterol-rich foods what do I do? That goes against everything you've ever talked about. And what they don't communicate is as women get older, they actually need more cholesterol. Cholesterol is not the enemy in your health. It's going to help you and give you that great brain health, give you everything that you need. It's actually a healing agent in the body. that you never heard anybody call cholesterol a healing agent before. Uh, you have, Anna, but <laughs> most of the people watching this probably haven't and yet it is. That's what is there. It serves a good purpose, and that's why women, especially in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, in traditional populations where there was no heart disease at all, their normal cholesterol levels are approaching 300, which every medical doctor in the world would say, that's at great risk for heart disease. You need to be on a statin right away, and yet people take those statins at that age. They start having dementia, and all these brain health problems happen, and then, oh, they're just getting old, and that's normal. No, it's not normal.
0: Right. right. It's so true. And especially like when you think, well, with cholesterol, right? Cholesterol is a basket term. And yep. well, it's, I always think of it as big buildings. You see two big buildings on, you know, st- side by side. Those are the total cholesterol levels. too. Yep. And then you think, okay, well, what's in those buildings? And so what's in the building, is it efficient? Is it working well? Is it working to our advantage? Or is it destructive, degenerating, everyone asleep at their desks? <laughs> so. Um, So, looking at the breakdown of cholesterol, too, really becomes important. We know that all our hormones are made from cholesterol. That is our precursor to produce, to help us produce our sex steroids. So, it becomes really important. And research has shown in a large Italian study that looked at uh, lipid lowering agents and total cholesterol that naturally the total cholesterol was, I mean, the total testosterone was lower in people who were on lipid lowering statin medications. So, they had decreased muscle mass. Mass, decreased energy, decreased sex drive, hands down. So that's true for men and women. So using these statin medications is an issue. But more, we need to ask why is the cholesterol high? Is right. it effectively high is it compensating high is it protecting against heavy metals i mean what are some of the reasons that it's high to begin with and incorporate yeah. those and also again like they said find out what exactly is your total cholesterol what is the components of it and as we get into more like berkeley heart labs and that type yep. of that uh, panel testing the breakdown testing which becomes really important
1: yeah, unfortunately, the doctors aren't asking those questions, Anna. You are, but a lot of the other ones out there, if the cholesterol is high, boom, you automatically have a statin deficiency. And so they're popping these out like Tic Tacs to, uh, to patients. And the patients are saying, oh, I'm at great risk for this, this great disease called high cholesterol. There is no such disease as high cholesterol. Uh, we wrote a whole book about this a couple of years ago called Cholesterol Clarity And there's just so much more to that cholesterol story. I've always had high cholesterol. My whole life, I've always had high cholesterol. And I did the statin thing for a little while. I took both Lipitor and Crestor. I had bad muscle aches and joint pain. I remember going up for a pickup game of basketball one time while I was on Lipitor and got the rebound. And this thumb right here just went straight backwards. And I go to the ER and the ER doc says, do you take a cholesterol lowering medication? I went, yeah, how would you know that? And he said, we're seeing more and more injuries as a result of the degeneration that's happening from taking those drugs. So I went back to my doctor. I said, I want to get off of Lipitor and get on a better drug that's not going to hurt me. Oh, well, we'll put you on Crestor. It's a much better medication. It's the exact same classification. It's still a statin. Um, And so thankfully, I got off of those during that year that I changed my life and changed my diet. And I haven't been back on them since. They're really, really bad news from neurodegenerative type issues that happen, the muscle aches and pain. Um, they're just bad news all around. And they're not really helping with the disease itself. The disease is inflammation. And while they do lower inflammation somewhat, they're being marketed as cholesterol lowering, and lower cholesterol does not prevent heart disease.
0: Right. And I think that's like their benefit probably more is their anti inflammatory pathways than, right. than the lowering of cholesterol, like we know the detriment. But you can
1: lower inflammation in any number of ways, nutritionally and lifestyle wise, that you don't need to take this dangerous drug.
0: It's so true. And you're absolutely right. And and this is where everyone like yourself, clients need to take that responsibility into their own hands and say, okay, yeah. well, I need to change these things. Making those therapeutic lifestyle changes, changing our eating plan, changing our physical fitness plan, incorporating more natural activities, etc., is going to make the difference better than anything we can write on a prescription pad. And currently to let our patients, let the public be aware that insurances are coming down on physicians who aren't writing statin drugs, who aren't writing glucose-lowering agents for people whose lab numbers are above. So it is imperative, you get those numbers down because physicians who are saying, okay, well, let's try these supplements, let's try, you know, your exercise plan can be penalized for practicing this type of medicine. So insurance companies, big insurance plans, global insurance, are targeting numbers, and um, and, and it can, it's a very misguided way to address health.
1: Yeah, this uh, on my Instagram page this morning, uh, a lady wrote and said, my doctor told me my cholesterol was too high and I must get it down by October. He's going to put me on a statin drug. Um, here's what he has me eating, and she showed a bowl of oatmeal with uh, fat-free skim milk, and she was supposed to eat that to lower her cholesterol. And I tried to explain, she tagged me in it and I tried to explain to her, that's actually going to raise your triglycerides. That's going to lower your HDL. Yes, it may lower your LDL and thus your total cholesterol by extension, but it's not making you any healthier. So I'm trying to help her understand there is a test you can run for that inflammation. HSCRP is a really good test to know where you stand get it under one and you it doesn't matter what your cholesterol is. If your inflammation's not there, you're okay. Um, and so it, it's just unfortunate. There's so much misinformation out there. People's heads are spinning. That's one reason I'm passionate about my work is I want people to hear at least an alternative hypothesis and then they make the choice about what they believe.
0: Right, and there's no age limit on it, so it's crucial to understand. Also, inflammatory markers, when we're looking, and this is what clients should be aware of, you should know these numbers. You should know your fasting glucose. You should know your hemoglobin A1C. Yep. You should know what your insulin response is to glucose, the two-hour glucose-to-insulin challenge, to see how insulin is responding to glucose is very, very important. And that HSCRP or cardioCRP, C-reactive protein, highly sensitive reactive protein to look at this subclinical inflammation as well as a homocysteine level. And so in a vitamin D level, vitamin yep. D, 25 hydroxy level in your blood so for our listeners those tests are something you should know your numbers on so at least the hemoglobin a1c your fasting glucose your hscrp and your homocysteine levels as well as your vitamin d those are crucial five crucial markers now i can go on with different hormonal tests but those are pretty those are really helpful in saying okay am i am i able to see the change based on my habits you know, based on my lifestyle, based on the interventions I'm making, is it working? Is it not working? Let's look at these numbers versus looking at the scale, versus you know, or, or other ways that we can measure. But those numbers will give us a really good idea of what's going on in body. What what's going on with inflammation? How is our immune system? How is our um, overall um, glucose health? And that gives us an idea of of um, the you know, how our body is working well. And I think those are really key markers for everyone to know.
1: And much more important than your total cholesterol and LDL will ever be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you mentioned the Berkeley uh, test a while ago. I I actually like the NMR lipoprofile test because it shows you that particle size breakdown. People think LDL is one number. It's actually a multiplicity of numbers, uh, mainly large and and small, uh, pattern A, pattern B. Pattern B is the small kind that's the little BB that can penetrate the arterial wall. And pattern A are the bit large fluffy kind that have a more difficult time getting through the wall. So how do you get the large fluffy versus the small dense? You got to cut the carbs and you got to cut the vegetable oils out. That That's one thing that I, I, I just lament in the low carb community is a lot of them are still eating vegetable oils because it's fat. And they're having like mayonnaise and dressings that have these things in it. And they just don't realize how inflammatory those things are. You take them out of your diet. You replace them with real, whole, natural fats. You can't have inflammation.
0: All right, I think that's a great point. You know, thinking about healthy sources of fats and making that oil change. right? would give our cars an oil change. So giving ourselves an oil change, like using MCT oil, coconut yes. oil, so mixed-chain triglycerides, we are seeing the benefit of these uh, medium-chain triglycerides. So they, so MCT oil or coconut oil, and that's good to cook at at high um, levels. So looking at the oil we're using and knowing what we can safely cook at high levels, but ideally when we're cooking that we want to cook things slowly and at lower temperatures when we can. We yeah. consider that so that that maintains its nutritional quality. But also healthy olive oils or other nut oils. What are some of your favorite oils?
1: Oh, I love macadamia nut oil. That one tastes—it's buttery, nutty. It really tastes good. It's a great uh, monounsaturated fat as well. Um, I do love avocado oil as well. Uh, use that. In fact, I have the bottle right over there uh, right now, and 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 pour it on top of salads and uh, on top of food to add a little more healthy fat. Of course, butter, grass-fed butter. Uh, is my go-to. I really love that coconut oil. In fact, um, you know, you've heard people say, "Well, I don't want to eat any fried foods. That's what unhealthy." I just fried some avocado in coconut oil. And you want like an experience like you've never had before? Fry up some sliced avocado in coconut oil till they're brown. They taste just like a fried potato, and you don't eat potatoes anymore when you eat low carb ketogenic. So it gives you that experience at the same time, giving you lots of healthy fats.
0: Mm, I think I saw a recipe in here that was avocado, avocado with bacon wrapped around you it. You did. Like that. I was like, oh, I'm definitely doing that one. But now, yes. what about sweet potatoes in the evening? A small amount of sweet potato in the evening. will that take us out of ketosis?
1: It, it might. I think it depends on your carb tolerance. I know for me, it would. Um, because even like a half a sweet potato is what, 20-something grams of carbs. I'm only having 30 for the whole day. So maybe if I fasted uh, from, from having carbs and had that just as my carbs, I, to, to be honest, I don't know if I did it that way. I do know that a lot of people can tolerate sweet potatoes. Again, my wife, Christine, can have upwards of 75 grams of carbs and be okay and, and be in ketosis so she can have that kind of thing. I think it's going to depend on the, on the individual patient and how they respond to the carbs mm-hmm. and what their history is. I mean, I, I'm the history of a morbidly obese man that used to drink 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day and two boxes of Little Debbie snack cakes a day and probably upwards of 16 to 1700 grams of carbs every single day. Yeah, yeah it's no, uh, no mystery as to how I got morbidly obese.
0: No, I want to show people um, this one in your book. I love, I love cookbooks and I love using pictures in cookbooks. So this is Buffalo chicken stuffed avocado. I mean, it's gorgeous. Plus the recipes, easy to read and, and just beautiful. One thing I want to tell clients, like we say mayonnaise. I mean, I make my own mayonnaise. I'm a big fan. Olive oil, egg yolks, a little bit of citrus, lemon, and whatever seasonings I want. I've been, I've been adding sriracha into a lot of my mayo concoctions lately as a dipping sauce. Yep. So um, adding some hot spice and just you know, really being able to explore with healthy food choices and, and food options. So we've been enjoyed this. Um, right. what, what's your suggestion? I mean, you went from that status of morbidly obese to maintaining your weight loss. I have to show this other picture, which I love because this – beautiful steak dinner. with. Was oh, that
1: uh, the chimichurri?
0: chimichurri that? Sauce yep. on it. Yeah, that looks good. Chimichurri flank steak. So I mean, just beautiful um, options in your book. But so what was a key turning point for you to make this change? And how long did it take you? And have you yo-yoed a little bit since?
1: great question so what was the turning point it was kind of a series of things i often tell the different stories about the i was substitute teaching in a school in the fall of 2003 and i was writing the lesson on the board and this kid in the back of the room way back there i remember it uh said man mr moore you're really fat so so i turn around and start laughing to keep from crying because the whole class is laughing And I was like, yeah, you're right, kid. I am fat and I need to do something about it. But again, it was the frustration level um, that if I had to do a low-fat diet and that was the only way to lose weight was cut my calories and cut my fat um, and be miserable. Yes, I would be uh, leaner, but I would be miserable, completely hungry all the time. I would rather be fat and happy than feel like that for the rest of my life. That was my thinking. So when I, when I got that kind of jolt from this kid and there were several other things kind of getting in and out of cars and ripping pants pretty often, uh, that gets old really fast because if you ever shop at a big and tall store, they jack up the prices at least two to three times what it would be in Walmart, for example, for the same kind of clothes, just bigger. So I was tired of that and, uh, and then getting Dr. Atkins' book from my mother-in-law. She gave me that for Christmas that year. And so it was kind of this series of events that got me going. So, I did lose 180 pounds in 2004, and everybody's like, oh, you just kept it off and it just stayed steady the rest of your life, right? It doesn't work that way. I mean, there was obviously some rebound weight uh, that happens. It always happens a little bit. Uh, but I can say this uh, over the years. I can say this I have uh, kept off over 100 pounds now for 11 years. And while it's not a, a completely perfect ride, um, I am constantly in the game. And I think that's the take-home message I want people to hear is, yeah, you might go up a few pounds from your lowest, but that doesn't mean you're not making good changes in your health. And I've shifted. I talked about when I first started, it was all about weight loss. Now, I am much more interested in what is my health doing? Yeah, of course, I'd love to weigh less, but what is my health doing? And look at all those health markers that Anna just talked about a a while ago. Those are all incredible for me. And I can't uh, help but think, if we focus on health, people will be a lot more happy. They're unhappy because they have a scale that they step on that tells them they're either good or bad. And I, and I hate that. I think that's, that's probably one of the things that's ruining us more than anything is people think all of their health is predicated on what that stupid number on the scale has to tell them. It's not the whole story.
0: I I think that's a very good, very good thing to say. Like often we feel, okay, well, what is that? You know, what, is our mood going to be like based on what that scale says? And that's, yep. that's the attitude going in. It's like, throw out that scale, it's not doing you any good. You know, that's right. have your favorite clothes, focus on the positive. As I tell women, I said, what you focus on expands. So If you're focusing on your big fat ass, that's not a good point of focus. <laughs> so we really want to focus on uh, the positive markers, like you said, and if like, does my mind change? If I get on the scale and I weigh 140 today versus 150, Will that change my mood? And if it does, then we're looking at the wrong. I mean, that's an outside judgment for an inside emotion. So switching that out. Okay, what gives me joy? What brings me joy? And just keep changing, uh, reframing our focus, reframing our focus. And then also I want to encourage our listeners, do not get frustrated. The scale changes. Like Jimmy, I've been 80 pounds heavier than I am, and there's a fluctuation. You can listen to me talk. Sometimes I'll say 60 to 80. 80 pounds heavier than I am. Yeah. So there, there is a window. And it's and when we get caught into, oh, I failed again, or, you know, then, then it, it leads into destructive behavior in a sense, like what I'm working on isn't working. When often we can say, okay, these are the changes that I stopped making that were really helping me. And how can I consistently put those changes back into my life? What's the one right thing I can do today? And what's the one thing I need to stop doing today?
1: Yeah, I think if people started loving themselves more, Anna, and realizing how far they've come, and then knowing that they have this horrible background that got them to be sick and, and obese to begin with, you know, I think about all those cans of Coke that I used to drink. Had I not done that, I wouldn't be struggling so hard now in my early 40s, early to mid 40s, trying to keep things under control. I know I have to work harder than most people because of my history, and I'm okay with that. I'm eating real food that tastes good, that is nourishing my body and making my health markers incredible. If the weight doesn't follow right away, I'm not gonna get upset about that anymore. Um, I, I just think people need to learn to love where they are in the midst of the journey.
0: I think one of the the fruits of the spirit, right, is perseverance. Oh, perseverance, yeah. give me the ability to persevere and maintain some self control as I work yes. on brotherly love and kindness. I
1: want patience, and I want it now. <laughs>
0: right, right now. So I want to encourage our listeners: the ketogenic cookbook. How do we, um, Jimmy, tell people how to go ahead about getting your ketogenic cookbook?
1: Yeah. So, in America, it's in all the Barnes & Noble stores, all the books a million. You can get it on amazon.com, independent bookstores. In Canada, we have really good distribution there. It's in all the Costco Canadas. It's also in all the Indigo Chapter stores and, of course, Amazon uh, Canada. And then around the world, just wherever you buy books, most of the Amazon uh, places around the world, Amazon UK, Amazon Australia, they have at least the ebook copy. And then uh, wherever you buy uh, paper versions. I love a cookbook in a paper version. I don't know about you, but I don't want my Kindle or my iPad in the kitchen getting like stuff on it. So uh, I love a paper version of the cookbook. So I uh, definitely check it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, your personal journey and your mission. And thank you for producing this great work. And also you have a website, Low Carb. dot that people can go to.
1: Yep, liveinlevitalowcarb.com, or if you just Google my name, Jimmy Moore, the whole first page is all my stuff.
0: Good job. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for having us, and thanks to all our listeners. You can post comments, et cetera, on our Couch Talk page. As well, please tune in and um, download this, if you haven't already, on iTunes, joining Dr. Anna Kabeca's Couch Talk podcast on iTunes. Thank you very much.